Again, if you have a Bible, hopefully Luke chapter 2 is the text you're going to be turning to. And maybe you're saying, okay, wait, I, I kind of accept, I know this story. Uh, why are we saying it again? Why are we telling it again? Well, I'm going to explain. That's what Advent is. Advent, in a sense, is a retelling of a story that you know. And Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 8, puts it this way and explains part of the story. It says this, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I'm actually going to talk about today, and I'll explain these terms, that a joyous eschatological breakthrough leads to a joyous everyday invitation. And we'll talk, I'll explain what that means in just a second, but I want to remind you again that Advent is indeed a season of waiting. Now I know you know that on Christmas we're going to celebrate the birth of the Savior, but Advent is a reenactment of the waiting for that reality. Christmas actually doesn't technically start until, depending on tradition, Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. So when you say Merry Christmas to other people, technically you're wrong. Technically, you're supposed to say, Happy Advent. Go ahead and turn to somebody and say that if you don't mind. Happy Advent. Go ahead and do it. Good job. Good job. Okay, so, but don't be the person who corrects everybody for the next two weeks. I'm not letting you know, but nobody likes the person who says it's not Christmas, it's Advent. So be the person who knows that it's Advent, but, and actually Christmas starts, and then there's 12 days of Christmas. Christmas is actually a liturgical season that starts, again, either on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, and goes into January. That's where we get the song, The, the 12 Days of uh, Christmas. So, um, so we're going to look today at this waiting and this coming with joy and the anticipation that the people of Israel were experiencing. And then, right after the baby in the manger, right after Jesus in the manger, which is actually contained just in the verses before, it says in verse 6, for example, while they were there, the time for her to come, uh, for her to give birth, she wrapped her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling claws. So right after that, I want to take us to the shepherds and what's going on there, and the words of the angel. So again, I read it, but let's take a look at it more closely. It says this, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. Let me tell you first, by the way, that shepherds, we kind of have a more positive view of shepherds than they would have had in the first century. Shepherds actually had a generally bad reputation, kind of outcast sinner types. So this is significant, right? Because right after the birth of the baby, it's kind of the people who wouldn't have had the best reputation, not as bad as tax collectors in that day, but certainly not the best reputation. There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now again, people will always point out, and it is correct, this is probably why Jesus was not born in the month of December, because shepherds would not be out watching their flock by night. But we choose to celebrate it then, which is certainly, certainly fine. So an angel of the Lord, we don't have the name, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. So an angel, a messenger of the Lord, come to the shepherds who may not have the best reputation. And not only that, the glory of the Lord shone around them. 
Now, again, something significant is going to happen. It's what we might call something eschatological. So an eschatological thing is something that reveals the end of an age or the beginning of an age, right? When we study eschatology, that's the study of the end times, the return of Jesus. But this is an eschatological breakthrough because what's happened is, is God the Son has chosen, right, as sent by the Father, has come to earth, and this eschatological breakthrough is so significant that it would ultimately for us be the very determinant of how we describe our years 2,000 years later. Everything before this moment is BC, everything after this moment is AD, the year of our Lord. So we're going to focus on joy today, but this is a joyous eschatological breakthrough, right? The king has come to earth, the kingdom of God has come, and in doing so, this breakthrough, this eschatological breakthrough leads to a joyous everyday invitation for you and for me. But it actually starts right after the manger to go to these shepherds who wouldn't have the best reputation. Now, you may say, but Ed, okay, we know this. I mean, every year we talk about shepherds, right? Every year we talk about Christmas, and it's true. And part of the reason, again, is, is a church tradition, it's called a liturgical calendar, is this is the Advent season, a season of waiting. Again, to some people that's strange. My kids say to me, how can we be waiting when we already know what's going to happen? Well, in a sense, it's a reenactment, but, you know, spoiler alert, I mean, Jesus is born in just a few weeks. Now, again, but you can still experience something that you know is going to happen, right? I mean, you will probably watch movies sometimes, and you know that Darth Vader is Luke's dad. You didn't know that. Some of you didn't know that. <laughs> the planet of the apes is actually Earth in the future. Didn't know that either. Dumbledore dies. All right, let me just move on. <laughs> Sorry about the spoiler alerts. But in a sense, we can watch a movie a second time and know, in a sense, we're reenacting it through the liturgical calendar, the ultimate waiting of the people, right? Jesus was born in a major, but the people were waiting for that. And then this moment comes. Let's take a look at it a little more closely. I'm going to just focus in on the words of the angel to the shepherds, right? Not the best reputation people, but this angel, right? So let's take a look. First, it's overcoming fear. We're going to start with overcoming fear, right? So we see this, right? And in, in the process of doing so, we begin with the words to them, right? It says, fear not, for behold. Fear not, for behold. Now, these are the angels' words. So angels, you are pretty sure, are going to say what God intended them to say. They're contained in the Word of God, which is inerrant in, and, and for us going to be that which teaches us and leads us. So we want to pay attention to the first words of an angel following the birth of Jesus in a manger. And it's, the angel says, fear not for behold, right? Now, now again, what are you beholding, right? You're, you're acknowledging, you're seeing, you're, you're getting a fuller grasp of that, that Jesus has come and, and why he has come. Maybe the shepherds were particularly aware that they were not the, the people with the best reputation in society. So an angel comes, right? Maybe they're a little shady on the edge of society. And then the angel says, fear not, now, don't miss this, because fear not is a very common phrase in the Bible. 
Matter of fact, it's pretty regular that angels, when they show up, say, fear not, which tells you that when angels show up, it can be a pretty terrifying situation, right? Because remember, it says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, right? And so, and, and so the angel then says to them, fear not, for behold. Now, now, this is not the first time someone has heard fear not. And when we tie this into the fact that the Messiah has come, the Messiah, uh, they've been expecting the Messiah has come. We can even look back to Isaiah 43 verse 1. It says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So when this angel shows up to these shepherds, kind of outcast society kind of people, they would know that this announcement is the foretold Messiah upon whom they have been waiting for centuries. They would know that from now they can fear not, for he has come, he has redeemed, he has called us by name, he has said, you are mine. Now, when you get that picture, when you and I understand what actually has happened, that can then fast forward 2,000 years, because I can still say, fear not, for behold, because the Messiah has come. So this celebration of Christmas is not just about a babe in a manger, it's about the redemption, ultimately of all things, but right now for God's people. And in that moment, I can say, fear not, for behold, so maybe you've had a tough year. Maybe you're looking at your money and you got more year than you got budget. Maybe you're looking at some loss or some difficulty or some stress or some conflict or some brokenness that's impacted you and impacted others, right? But, but in the midst of that, you can say, fear not, for behold. Because if it's really true, remember this happens right after the manger scene. If it's really true that all those little manger scenes that we have in our homes, and my wife is a collector of manger scenes in, a, in, a, in an inordinate level that kind of is a little weird. She has manger scenes of Smurfs. That one didn't make it out this year. She, have, she has manger scenes. My favorite one actually is she has a manger scene that's made up of rolled up rods of newspaper. And I like that because it kind of ties into the good news of the gospel itself. But she's a collector of manger scenes, and, and I got to tell you, I, I think that's fine. That's great. There's manger scenes all over. But the manger scene only matters if you behold what's going on, and if you behold what's going on, you will fear not if you're a follower of Jesus. You see, if it's true that Jesus came into the world, fear not. If it's true that he was born of a virgin, fear not. If it's true that he lived a sinless life, fear not. If it's true he died on the cross, fear not. If it's true God raised him from the dead, fear not. Fear not, for behold, I've read the end of the book, Jesus wins. I can live in confidence that he's come. That changes our perspective on everything. So, so again, Advent in a sense is kind of a retelling or a or a rehearsing or a re-experiencing the waiting that the people of Israel would have done. But in the midst of it, we can acknowledge that fear not, for behold, changes everything. Man, I don't know if you've had a good year or a bad year. We look back about this time of year, but here's what I do know. I do know that you can fear not, for behold, what's happened in the manger changes everything. 
We're going to see that it brings joy. That's what I'm going to focus on today, right? Pastor Bill talked about last week about, about the hope that comes. And I listened to the message. It was encouraged. I actually watched it on Facebook. And, you know, you can watch live streaming on Facebook. I made a comment. It was just, it kind of brought us together to the hope of the gospel, the Messiah. But now we step into the joy that comes and that joy comes from an announcement. Let's look at the second thing in our outline, right? Is announcing news. Overcoming fear. Fear not, for behold, announcing news, because we're going to see this joyous eschatological breakthrough leads to a joyous everyday invitation for you and for me. Listen to what the angel says. I bring you good news of great joy. When I, when I hear that, I don't know about you, but um, I probably heard this most watching Charlie Brown when they read this story. This is the phrase, I bring you good news of great joy. Because it's such a significant saying, it's such an important moment, the bringing of the good news. I bring you good news. Now, now good news is something that you might have on a front of a newspaper, it might be on a website that you read. But this good news is actually from the Greek word that we talk about the gospel, evangelion. Right? Or evangel. Think of evangel at the heart of that word. It's translated gospel at times. And here it's, the, the verb's actually found, uh, verb form is found 11 times in the gospels. Ten of these are found in Luke. So bringing this good news, this is the eschatological joy that I was telling you about. Don't miss this, right? Because if you have been waiting for centuries upon century for this Messiah to come, Hints of his coming go back all the way to the garden, and throughout history, the, the understanding grows in fuller and fuller anticipation that a Messiah would come and set things right, that he'd bring his kingdom, that the world would be changed and transformed, and, and, and yet there's this distance between God and people. There's this distance between God and men and women, and something has to bridge this distance, and then right after God the Son is born in a manger, Jesus the Christ, the angel announces to these shady shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy. This is an eschatological joy because the age has changed. Now, don't miss this because this joy then would flow into our lives if we will receive and walk in it, right? It's an eschatological joy. It's a change of all time. It's a change of the age, but it leads to a joyous everyday invitation that Jesus actually speaks of in John chapter 15, verse 11. He says this. He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So when the angel says to the shady shepherds, he says, I bring you good news of great joy, Jesus actually invites you into that joy. And that's something Christians both respond to when they become followers of Jesus, this good news of great joy, but something they have to choose to walk in every day. See, when we go through Advent, we're reminded of the joy of the coming of the Messiah, the people of Israel waited, and then at this moment, they rejoiced in joy. But then 2,000 years later, that can be lived out in my life. Look with me at Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always, in case we missed it, again I will say, rejoice. So that rejoicing, the angels say, that good news of great joy, 2,000 years later, we can rejoice 
in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. Now, it's interesting because I think a lot of people hear this and they see the word rejoice, rightly so, twice. Paul writing to the church at Philippi tells them to rejoice. And in case they forgot, he says again, I'll say rejoice. But there are three words that sometimes we miss. And those words are right here, rejoice in the Lord. You see, when you understand that this eschatological breakthrough, right, that heaven's come down to earth, God the Son is born Jesus the Christ, right, that is great news, good news of great joy. But then living in the reality of that joy can be your experience each and every day. But it's in Him, right? Why? Because it's Him in you. It's you in Him. It brings joy. It starts with these somewhat shady shepherds hearing good news of great joy. Why would they be good news of great joy? Because literally the, the, the separation between God and people has been bridged. The, it's been breached, right? God the Son has been sent and through Jesus the Christ. It's a big deal when God the Son is born, Jesus the Christ, right? When the, when the Lord of heaven is born of a virgin, fully God and fully man. The gap has been bridged. Now, if that doesn't bring you great joy, maybe, let me give an example that may help when we see, these, when we see a gap bridged. I mean, you know, you know I'm a nerd. That's not really a secret. Uh, you know I love history. And now I love Chicago. You know, I've just fallen in love with this city. We've been here about two and a half years. And I love Chicago. Tonight, the Bears are going to beat Los Angeles. I love Chicago. I'm all in. Remember, when I moved here, the Cubs won the World Series. I'm not saying there's a connection between the two, but it's time for football to step up. I wanted you to know, um, I, so when I moved to Chicago, Chicago lands, right? But when I, le- I, I learned that Chicago had a flag. I didn't know Chicago had a flag. I think it's kind of cool Chicago has a flag. Let me show you the flag. This is the flag of Chicago, right? Now, uh, maybe you've seen it a hundred times and never thought about it, but let me explain a little bit about it, right? White stripes actually represent the north and the west and the south. There is no east Chicago. We call that water, Um, which can be confusing to people because when a town's like that, there's a very famous song where the singer says, you know, born and raised in South Detroit. South Detroit is actually Windsor, Ontario. So there really is no South Detroit, but we don't have an east, you know, they're not all the way over there. Um, And these stars represent things as well. These are, this this is Fort Dearborn. Uh, This is the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, which has significance for us as Moody Church. This is the World's Columbian Exposition. This is the Century of Progress that took place in 1933. But what's of interest to me is these blue stripes, right? Because I I didn't know this, but these blue stripes are representative of significant uh, bodies of water, right? The blue stripe at the top actually represents uh, Lake Michigan and the north branch of what's called the Chicago River. The stripe at the bottom represents the south branch of the river over something called the Chicago Portage. Now, I want to explain that because I think in doing so, it might help us to get a picture. Some of you maybe have been to Portage Park in South Lawndale. And actually, if you've ever been there, it's the most important place in all of Chicago. It's why Chicago is here. 
A portage is a place where we call it Chicago portage, but it's actually uh, something that people would pronounce portage. They would portage their canoes, right? So the Native Americans would portage their canoes across this area in the city of Chicago. And, and in doing so, they would, they would go from the watershed that would be, well, all the Great Lakes all the way out to the Atlantic, or then all of the middle of the country all the way down to the Mississippi. Let me, let me explain with a map. This might help us, right? So take a look at this map here. Here we've got a map of, the, uh, of North America, right? And if you kind of notice here, uh, where we are is right here, and we're right on the edge of the barrier that being breached becomes significant, right? Because all the water here goes down to the Gulf of Mexico. All the water here goes out to the, uh, to the Atlantic. Now, uh, you couldn't get there immediately because there's this thing called Niagara Falls. It's kind of hard to go over that. Uh, but they built a canal eventually. But so, so what, where we are right here is this barrier between two very significant geological realities. And the distance between that barrier is a little thing that now is in Portage Park. It used to be called Mud Lake. And Native Americans would walk their canoes. They'd portage their canoes over this. And, and, and yet, we, when, when, when explorers came from Europe, they didn't know much about this. And so the Chicago Portage is, the, it's called a water gap, right? And it connects these two watersheds. And actually, you can go right now, the saddle point, that means kind of the top of it. So the saddle point is where, that if you have a glass of water and you pour it here, right on the top of the saddle point, half of it ends up in the Atlantic, half of it ends up in the Mississippi. It's actually today at 3100 West 31st Street, South Lawndale neighborhood in Chicago. And that is the most important spot in all of Chicago. That spot is why Chicago matters. Why? Well, there were two French explorers named Joliet and Marquette who were canoeing upstream the Mississippi River. They were guided to this portage by local Native Americans between the, along this thing called the Des Plaines River. And they found there's this mud lake they'd walk across and get to the Chicago River. And then they said, okay, so this is the place where worlds connect or actually where worlds divide. And this geographic breakthrough of Chicago, right, becoming the most important, this actually led to, because what happened is the lower blue stripe on the flag is actually the canal. It's a symbol of the canal called the Great Canal. There was a canal before it. There was a canal after it. We don't use it anymore. But at that point, the canal that connected these two places made Chicago the most important place in North America outside of the coasts. So you can go to Portage Park now, you can walk it. Why does this matter? Because if you think of how hard it would be to get from the Atlantic to the Gulf of Mexico, and you have to go all the way around, and then to find a way to go inside and through, right? They, they, so what would happen is, don't miss this, right? Actually, it was someone named LaSalle who stood at this place and said, at that saddle gap, at that water gap, and saw the potential of what Chicago would become, and here we are on LaSalle Street at Moody Church. So why does that matter? Because this, this barrier between these two realities could be broken, and then LaSalle would stand there and see that this could change everything. And city fathers and mothers saw this could change everything, and in doing so, they built this canal between the two to bridge the gap, right? And this reminds us of a gap that's much more than Mud Lake or Portage Park.
right? Because the reality is God and man separated, right? God and man separated because of sin. Sin has stained and broken the totality of the world. But God in his great love for us sends Jesus to go across that barrier, to be that sacrifice, to ultimately change everything. Being born in a manger, then the shepherds get the announcement that unto us is good news of great joy. And then ultimately because Jesus came, we'll be placed in the kingdom and everything changes. So yeah, okay. Four stars and two stripes make a, they make a city. But our picture is so much more significant that it's good news of great joy. A gap has been there for century upon century. The people waited and then God the Son came and was born Jesus the Christ. So sure, the Chicago flag, you maybe know a little more, but I'm more interested in, not four stars, but I'm more interested in, in one star in Bethlehem that ultimately breaches everything. See, that's the picture I want you to see. Maybe even as you see the Chicago flag in the future, you'll say, okay, this breaches a significant geographical boundary. This breaches, the significance cannot be overstated because that star and that cross bridge the barrier between God and man. God the Son came down to earth immediately after the story of the manger. We get the story of the shepherds. Remember that spiritual truth maybe each time you see that flag that a joyous eschatological breakthrough leads to a joyous everyday invitation. Doesn't end there. For next thing up, he's saving peoples, right? We see that Jesus comes saving peoples, announcing fear, excuse me, overcoming fear, announcing news, saving peoples, right? This joyous eschatological breakthrough, it says, that will be for all the people. Right? Don't, don't miss this, right? It starts by saying, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. When Luke uses this kind of phraseology, he means the people of Israel. We don't want to forget that Jesus is the Messiah. He came for the people of Israel, and then in the fullness of his plan, he fulfilled the promises of the Old Testament and more, and then in the fullness of his plan, he is the Savior for all the world. But you're going to hear probably more about Israel during Advent than you hear about any other time of the year. Hope of Israel, Israel's promise, the waiting of Israel's Messiah over and over again. There's a reason for that. We don't have time to unpack all of that, but he came and fulfilled the prophecies of the Jewish people. He came and fulfilled the hopes of the people of Israel. That's why he came. That's why they waited. And then in God's good grace, we were grafted in, those of us who are Gentiles. Now we get a hint of that in Luke and a little more fuller in Matthew. Both the story of the wise men is in both places. But let's not look at, let's not miss this. Matthew 2, it says, the wise men set out and there ahead of them went the star, right? That star we saw a moment ago, they had seen it at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was, right? So don't miss this, right? These wise men who are clearly not of the people of Israel. There's a reason that Matthew and Luke make sure to include that they go to shepherds who may be a little shady, and then wise men from the east come. It's a hint of what's to come, the salvation offered to all men and women, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. I love that. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They knelt down, paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
See, he comes as the Jewish Messiah, but ultimately it will be Christ the Lord, the Savior of all. As the Jewish Messiah, he is the Savior of the world, and as we'll see in just a minute, because he is Christ the Lord. But don't miss that he's fulfilling promises, right? Don't miss that he's fulfilling promises. We see it laid out before us, right? Overcoming fear, announcing news, saving peoples, he's fulfilling promises. You see, this joyous eschatological breakthrough, right, when the king of heaven comes down to earth, starts this new age, at that moment, right, he breaks through. That's the joyous eschatological breakthrough. But something specific takes place here. Listen to what it says. For unto you, these are the shady shepherds, is born this day in the city of David a savior. Now, don't miss the language that's here. Don't miss, for example, how quickly the angel announced to the shepherds. See, this salvation wasn't to be kept secret in a manger, but instead it was announced to shepherds, right? This day, right? This day. And we celebrate this day on December 25th, right? That's what, again, Advent is. This day, the day that splits time, the day that opens the new age, is now an eschatological reality. Not a hope but a reality. It's a joyous eschatological breakthrough. But it's not just this day, it's this place, which reminds us again how this is connected to the Jewish people. It says this in Micah 5.2, it says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth the one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old from ancient days. And that's a strange phrase, unless you get what happens in Bethlehem. How can somebody come to Bethlehem? Too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth, the one who is to be the ruler of Israel. How can somebody come forth from old, from ancient days? Because that's the breakthrough, right? God the Son, born Jesus the Christ, changes everything. This is a reminder to the shepherds that he is the Jewish Messiah and ultimately the Messiah of the whole world. See, that joyous eschatological breakthrough doesn't end there. It leads to a joyous everyday invitation. Now I'll close with that. As we go through our outline, maybe you can follow along with me. Let's finish with this, right? We talk about overcoming fear. Fear not, for behold, I love that. Announcing news, I bring you good news of great joy. Will be for all the people, the people of Israel, but as we see with the wise men and the fullness of the gospel, an invitation to men and women around the world of every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. Fulfilling promises in Bethlehem, prophecy after prophecy, this joy would come. But then finally, ruling over all. So you don't miss this phrase. This Messiah is not just some, some ethnic deity, somebody connected to the religious beliefs of the Jewish people, but this Messiah is the king over all things. See, that's why you and I can have joy. Because it says, don't miss this, it says, who is Christ the Lord? Who is Christ the Lord? You see, joy is found in the sovereignty of God, of knowing that God has a plan that takes place moments before the angel shows up to the shepherds, but 2,000 years later is as real and as essential to us if we're actually going to walk in joy. See, because I told you before, happiness comes and go. Happiness is based on the moment of the day. You know, it's interesting that sometimes we forget that. 
Happiness and happenstance come from the same root word. Your circumstances make you happy. Christ gives you joy. It's an important distinction between the two. Your circumstances make you happy. Christ gives you joy. So for some of you, Advent may be the most important time of the year because you've been waiting. And maybe in a sense you're waiting for some of your life circumstance today to make sense. Maybe you're waiting for some of the grief to pass. Maybe you're waiting for some of the struggle to end. Let me tell you, when we look to the Word of God, we see ultimately who Jesus is. It says in Colossians 1.16, for by Him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. You see, this is Christ the Lord, right? He is all in all. He is what matters to us. But do you walk in that joy, peace, and hope that we're talking about as we light Advent candles and celebrate the liturgical calendar? Because in Romans 15, 13, Paul writes, the Bible speaks, the Holy Spirit speaks, says, may the God of hope, don't miss that, right? Bill talked about it last week so well. May the God of hope fill you with all joy, right? That's what I'm talking about this week, and peace next week, and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow. I want you to overflow with the hope that Bill talked about last week. Overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sisters and brothers, when we look at Advent, Advent is not just a reenactment, right? It's a reminder, and for many of us, it's a blessed hope that we wait in joy for everything ultimately to be set right. Because Jesus came, that's the first Advent, but there's a second Advent. And some of us are still waiting for everything to be made right in that second Advent. So my question for you is this, can you live in the joy? I mean, when LaSalle said, look what this could become. I mean, we can go all this way and all this way. If we put a great city here, it could be one of the most important cities in the whole world. But then think of what the shepherds might know, that all of a sudden God in heaven has sent his son, God the son, has breached the divide to come and it is good news of great joy for all peoples. Can you live in the joy and the peace that Advent promises? Don't stand in the saddle gap between earth and eternity and say no big deal. I mean, you got to recognize that this is, this reenactment, why we do Advent here at Moody Church and churches around the world is this is a big deal. It's good news and great joy for all the people. This joyous eschatological breakthrough can lead you into an ongoing experience of joy. It can lead you <clears throat> to trusting Him in that joy, a joyous everyday invitation. I want to invite you today. Our prayer team's actually going to be in place, and you'll see them moving around to get in place to pray with you. There'll be people at different places here, even around the church today. Maybe as you look back on this year, you say, Ed, I need that joy. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to give you the opportunity to respond. People are here to pray with you so that you might receive by grace and through faith. You might see that this breach, this change, this gap that Jesus has crossed from heaven. He came from heaven to earth. And in doing so, great joy was celebrated by the angels. It's that joyous eschatological breakthrough, but it leads to a joyous everyday invitation for you. 
Will you experience that breakthrough today? If you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're worshiping with us online, maybe you're watching online and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you today to receive by grace and through faith the good news of the gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray for the families of our church. I pray for men and women. I pray for seniors. I pray for singles. I pray for young adults and children. Father, I pray for all of us that when we would hear good news of great joy, that 2,000 years later, that joyous eschatological breakthrough would lead to a joyous everyday invitation. And we'd respond to that. Father, I pray for those who are hurting and broken within. Maybe they feel overwhelmed by the weight of their sin, that they'd hear Jesus calling today. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, can I just invite you to trust and follow him? Just in the quietness of this moment, I just want you to pray with me. And just, if you're watching online, if you're here, I want you to pray with me. Father, just silently to the Lord, I receive this good news of great joy. I trust and follow Jesus today. I repent of my sin and my ways, and I commit my life to you and your ways. I receive the life you have given me. Father, I pray for those who just prayed that prayer that they would have just a few seconds of bold courage to come pray with people here to share with them the good news that they have trusted and followed Jesus. But for all of us, Lord, I pray for those who are weary and tired. I pray for those who've struggled and are worn out, for those who are discouraged and downtrodden, that you'd give us a reminder that this joyous eschatological breakthrough leads to a joyous everyday invitation that we can walk in that joy. So Lord, we come to the altar knowing that Jesus has come and Jesus is calling. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, as we stand together, we give you glory, we give you honor, and Father, we hear your call. We come to the altar. People are available to pray. You come as God speaks to your heart, but join us in worship as we sing of his goodness and his grace.